Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 50-something. 53. <laughs> 53. There we go. Thank you. 53. This is the last blessing of the Amida. It's not the last paragraph of the Amida. There's another paragraph that follows, but that's not a blessing. That came later, and we'll discuss more about that next time. But this is the last of the 19 blessings of the Amida. It's the blessing of peace. As we mentioned earlier, Ezra and his court did not author the Amida, but they've compiled the Amida of existing blessings. What was the context of when this blessing was used? The Midrash says that the Jews entered the land of Israel by the leadership of Joshua, and there were battles, there were fights. But finally, it wasn't until the days of Solomon that they finally, or King David, where they conquered Jerusalem and they were able to settle peacefully. And the promise that God gave that said, when a shalom I will give peace to the land, that promise came to fruition. And the ministering angels said this blessing to God, who blesses the Jewish people with peace. So this is the original context of this blessing, the original usage of this blessing. What is the current context? Okay. So the Amida, the three Amidas, corresponds to the service that took place in the Beit HaMikdash. And these last three blessings that we use to close the Amida with, because the Amida, again, we said is like a sandwich. There's three opening blessings, praising God, then the middle blessings, requesting from God, or we saw them as meditations, and then the closing blessings, again, thanking God. The first blessing, the Betzei, Avodah, the blessing of service. Then following the service in the temple would come the 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 Thanksgiving offering, the Korban Toda, and that was the Modim, where we offer things to God. What happened after these services in the Beit HaMikdash? Birchat Kohanim, the Kohanim's blessings. Right, The blessings of the Kohanim would take place right after the, the service. Right, We, as Ashkenaz Jews, do this every year on uh, the holidays, right? Oh, holidays we do on, on the Yom Tov, on the Chag, we do these, uh, the Birchaz Kohanim, the Kohanim's blessings. In Israel, they do it every day. In Sephardic tradition, even outside of Israel, they do it every day. But in the Beit HaMikdash, it was always done every single day. It was part of the service. Following the sacrifices. Following our personal sacrifice of the Amidah, we have the miniature Kohanim blessings. This is on page 52 on the bottom. You see that there? It's in the gray box. The Chazan repeats it during the repetition of the Amidah. And if you were in Jerusalem or in a Sephardic congregation, the Kohanim would actually go up and, be, and give those blessings as if it were a Chag. And that's associated with peace. Because what are the Kohanim blessing us with? <laughs> Essentially peace, right? What is the blessing that they say right beforehand? God has commanded us, Israel Bahava has commanded us to bless the Jewish people with love, with peace. Kohanim represent peace. Aaron the Kohen is the epitome of peace. 
And that's why we follow with this blessing, the blessing of peace. We conclude the Amida with peace. That's the grand finale. It's all about peace. Which suggests that the whole Amida is leading toward peace. That's the, that's the final blessing. If you want to know how to achieve peace, we pray the Amida. How does that work? What is the connection between the Amida and peace? Well, there's two types of peace, by the way. And we'll talk about both of these peace. There's being at peace within our own selves, and we'll talk about that soon. But there's relational peace. Peace in our interpersonal relationships. And the Amida gets us there. Take a look at the uh, the third line in the English. Right by the period. You see it? Middle of the line. Bless us, our Father, all of us as one. The, uh, the Alter Rebbe had a different way of reading this sentence. And he quotes this in the Tanya, chapter 32 of Tanya. Instead of God bless us as if we were all one people, the way he understood it is, bless us, our Father. How do we tap into that blessing? All of us are as one, when we are one, when we have peace, when we have unity, now we can tap into that blessing. Now we can channel that blessing. That's how he read the verse. Not bless us as if we were one people, but God, we are one people. Therefore, bless us. Because the channel for blessing is peace. The channel for blessing is unity. Because what is the because the epitome of God is oneness. Echad. We said the Shema already, right? The Lord is a God, the Lord is one. That is the epitome of God. And the way the Rambam describes it, Maimonides describes it, there is nothing one like God is. Anything else that is uh there's no such it's it's kind of a hard concept to, to wrap our minds around. But there's no other type of oneness. It doesn't exist. Everything else is made up of parts. We have a body and we have a soul. Right? We're made of parts. Our body is made up of parts. We have a brain, we have our heart, and they're all working together as one. But the only truly one thing, one entity is God. Or the way Hasidic teaching interprets it, not only that there's only one God and nothing one is one like him, but God is one, one with everything. Everything is really just part of his oneness. When we are one with each other, we reflect God's oneness. We're open to God's oneness. That's God's blessing. If you want to connect, if we want to connect to God, who is one, it cannot happen if we're not one with each other. We're not. Here's another way to see oneness. 
oneness is that a word by the way oneness yeah it is okay good oneness is the same thing as prioritizing the soul that's code word for prioritizing the soul make sense being one with each other is the same it translates into prioritizing the soul over the body because what happens when we prioritize the body what happens when my interests my self interests are more important than my mission in life than the part of me that's more eternal my body and your body were two different things it can't get along Right? Two bodies take up space. Two souls don't take up space. When we're inspired, we should be more tolerant for people. When we're focused on our needs or wants, really, we'll notice that we're likely less tolerant for people. Because bodies take up space. You can't have two bodies in the same space. But souls don't take up space. Souls don't think about that. Go to 770 Eastern Parkway on Yom Kippur. Right? You squish yourself in there. And you feel great. You feel like you're part of something bigger because it's a bunch of souls. Right? There was a fellow who came to Rabbi Menachem and Shinirsin of Lubavitch, not the Lubavitch Rebbe, but his great-great-grandfather who had the same name as him. So this is going back about 150 years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe 175 years ago. And he complains to the Rebbe that everybody at Shul is kind of walking all over me and stepping over me. What was the advice that he gave him? Very different than conventional psychology. It was quite solution-oriented. He said, I have an idea. Don't spread yourself all over the place. People won't walk all over you. <laughs> right? That's pretty that's pretty frank. That's pretty uh <laughs> that's pretty blunt. But but what's the point there? Bodies take space. And when we take space, People are naturally going to encroach on our space. Souls don't take up space. We shouldn't be taking up too much space. Like somebody once told me, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> but souls don't take up space. Prioritizing the soul. In other words, becoming one with each other, allowing people into our space. It's not ours. And being welcomed into other people's space. Unity. That channels God's oneness. And by the way, this is hard, man. <laughs> this is so much more fun to talk about in a class or in a discussion than to actually implement. You know how we know it's hard? From last week's Torah portion. God commands Moses 
Tell Aaron about the menorah. You should light this golden menorah. Right? This menorah that's constructed of solid gold, not assembled of parts. Tell Aaron to light it. And what does the Torah say? And Aaron did so. And Rashi says, why are you telling me that? <laughs> of course he did so. <laughs> so what does Rashi tell us? This is the beginning of last week's Torah portion. Rashi tells us Aaron didn't deviate. He didn't change. He did exactly as told. He made that menorah. And commentaries wonder, Rashi, are you okay? Why would Aaron have deviated? <laughs> why would he have deviated? What do you mean Aaron didn't deviate? And that's why it's, the Torah says, and Aaron did so. Here's what Rabbi Yeshayahu Orowitz, known as the Shalah HaKadosh, the 15th century, here's what he explains. It's not that he didn't deviate from the construction of the menorah. Of course, Aaron's going to follow instructions. He didn't deviate from what the menorah represented. What does the menorah represent? Seven different lights. Seven different personalities. Seven different ways of shining. In Kabbalistic lingo, the seven different emotional spheros. But Aaron saw them not as seven different lights. They're all one solid piece of gold. They're all of one solid piece. Yes, we have different personalities. Yes, we're different. But at our core, we're a solid base. We're really one solid piece of gold. We're not assembled. A menorah that is assembled parts, not kosher. Yes, we have different personalities and we're not assembling ourselves together. Do I fit with you? Do you fit with me? We're all the same. What do you mean do I fit with you? Do you fit with me? Do we click? No click. We're all the same. We're all the same solid piece. How does the Torah describe the process of making this menorah? Miksha, to bang it. Right? Because you have to take a solid piece of gold and you have to bang it. You can't make different parts and assemble it. The word miksha also means difficult. This was a difficult thing to do. It's easier to assemble parts than to make a solid piece. Right? It's easier to just choose the people you like and hang out with them than to include people that you have a hard time getting along with and realizing that I'm one with them as well. Right? Mr. Potato, hey, Mr. Potato, Potato Head's a lot of fun. You could customize your friends, you know? <laughs> it's, it's easier that way. Aaron didn't deviate. Aaron, as we say in the Kohanim, were people of peace and love, unity, connection. They were able to realize that, no, in essence, we are all one. There was a shul in Jerusalem not too long ago that broke out into a dispute. I don't know what the dispute was about. But we, I do know it was a real shul because there was a dispute. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, everybody has two shuls, the shul they go to, the shul they don't go to. There was a dispute that broke out in the shul, and they took it to Rabbi Mordechai. They, they took the case to Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, who was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. Both sides present their side of the argument of how things should be run. Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu says, "I have the solution. You're going to shut the shul down." What? Why? 
What do you mean? Shut the shul down. That's the halacha. Jewish law says you need to shut your shul down. What are you talking about? Well, arguing and fighting is a biblical prohibition. Going to shul is a rabbinic requirement, not a biblical requirement. And your rabbinic requirement does not trump your biblical prohibition. So if there's fighting in this shul, it needs to shut down. Not worth it. That's what he says. Because the whole purpose of the Amidah, the last blessing is, Sim Shalom, God, place peace upon us. And how do we do that? Take a look at the Hebrew. The second line, right after the period, middle of the line, page 53, Bless us, our Father. All of us has one. Or as the Alter Rebbe read it, Bless us, our Father. Specifically, when we demonstrate oneness, when we are all one. In other words, what would demonstrate that I've davened the Amida properly? What would indicate that I've had the proper kavana, I've had the proper intent during prayer? How I connect to other people. Am I more tolerant for other people? Do I have more space for people? Do I take up less space myself? Or in English, am I more soul-oriented than body-oriented? Am I more sensitive to why God created me as opposed to what I want from existence? That is a high aspiration. Do I at least desire to be more sensitive to what God wants from me as opposed to what I want from God? So in other I, words, it's really difficult to do the Amida properly. It's a yeah, it's a it's a lifelong task. Something we work on, you know, slowly. And and it as we slowly, you know, as we pray and, and as we engage more, we slowly sensitize ourselves to the soul. There's the story of the Al-Tarebbe, where amidst his prayers in the middle of Yom Kippur, in general, he was a, uh, he was on fire when he would pray. In the middle of Yom Kippur, he mysteriously slips off his talus and his kittel, and he exits the shul. Nobody knows why. He comes back many, many hours later. Rebbe, where were you? <laughs> we were so confused. There was a lady in the outskirts of town who had just given birth, and she needed to have been taken care of. The Rebbe went to go chop firewood for her and to cook for her. Those are activities we usually refrain from on Yom Kippur but obviously necessary to save a life. And this was back in the 60s when the Rebbe was sharing this story. He pointed out that this was not an interruption of prayers in order to help somebody. This is the purpose of prayer. To sensitize us to the, uh, to, to the soul, which helps us uh, be more sensitive to people, to other people, because they're not taking up space. 
there's a halacha, which for various reasons we're not necessarily so strict on, but we could talk about that later. But there, there technically is a halacha that you're not supposed to eat before davening. Don't eat until you've davened. Can't you have like a piece of cake or a coffee? Right, right. So, so in practice, we were we're less strict on that because there, there's room in halacha to to have more energy to daven. You know, better daven so you can better eat so you could have the energy to daven, then daven get davening over with so you could go eat. But, but theoretically, um, person shouldn't eat before davening. It certainly shouldn't have like a meal or like a full breakfast. You know, continental breakfast. You know. But why not? The Talmud says there's an element of arrogance. I'm taking care of my own needs before talking to God. But another way to look at it, or perhaps a deeper way to look at it, I'm body-centered at this point. I haven't davened yet. I wake up in the morning. I've said moda'ani. I believe that there's a soul. I believe in God. But I'm sensitive more to my body than... To my soul by default that's the way i am i just woke up didn't have my coffee yet right <laughs> so what is my approach going to be to that food what's that food going to be all about me but if i dive in first and i'm more sensitive to the soul i'm more sensitive to why I exist, not just what I want from existence, which is English for I'm more sensitive to the soul, less sensitive to the body. What's my approach going to be to that food? How is this going to help me serve God? It becomes a humble experience. The, I'm just bringing that to indicate that there's a shift or a theoretical shift that should happen from BP. And no, B, T, and P, T. Before tefillah and post tefillah or after tefillah, A, T. Okay, whatever. There's a shift that happens from before we pray to after we pray. Being soul conscious. Being more aware of what we're really about. And when we do that, the result... Unity, peace, love. In other words, we're not just praying for peace. That's the simple meaning of this text, right? We're praying for peace. We're actually giving ourselves a responsibility to channel peace by becoming one. We often tell ourselves... If things were more peaceful, we'd get along, you know? <laughs> the other way around. If we'd get along, things would be more peaceful. There's a responsibility over here. Let's talk about personal peace, not just interrelational peace. Peace with ourselves. Because that's also what this prayer is referring to.
and this is also what prayer has helped uh, is is here to accomplish is this inner alignment because there is a internal discord that we experience. We learn that there's a truth. We learn that there's a God. We learn that we have a mission. We learn that our actions make a difference, that our mitzvahs matter. We learn that our sins matter. But do we care? Sometimes, right? Sometimes we don't. Why? I learned the Torah. I spoke to God. I even believe it. Why don't I care? What is going on with me? What's wrong with me? It's normal. That's fine. There's a lack of inner peace. That's a lack of inner peace. That's what inner peace is. I actually care about my beliefs. <laughs> so the, the Talmud says, you can have a thief who's standing at the door, ready to barge in, ready to steal, ready to rob the house. And he says, God Almighty, help me get out of here successfully. Well, wait a minute. Does this guy believe in God or not? If he believes in God, why is he stealing? If he doesn't believe in God, which is why he's stealing, why is he praying to God? We don't always care about our beliefs. This guy believes in God. He doesn't care. Right? There's times where we believe the truth of our values. We don't care. It's not our fault that we don't care all the time. Sometimes we weren't raised with it. Sometimes we... Whatever. We're just not there yet. Fine. But there is this lack of inner peace that we experience. I'm going to translate this into Tanya lingo, which some of you are familiar with. There's a discord between the divine soul and the animal soul. Between what I know is true and what I feel to be true. Chapter 9 of Tanya says that the divine soul is primarily in the mind. The animal soul is primarily in the heart. <coughs> And there tends to be a discord between mind and heart. Where I don't feel what I know to be true. Or sometimes even worse, my truth becomes defined by what I feel. That's even worse. That's very popular these days. I feel it. Of course it's true. <laughs> I feel like this. I feel like that. All of a sudden that becomes truth. Hopefully I don't get canceled for this. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but there is a discrepancy. This that that's that's a product of exile. That's what Gullus does. Um, in our generation, it manifests in the craziness that we know of in this world, currently. But it always existed since the base of Mikdash, the first base of Mikdash was destroyed. There is a discrepancy. Between the two souls. Or in Kabbalistic lingo, there's a discrepancy between the first two letters of God's name, Yudin Hey, and the second two letters of God's name, Vavin Hey. 
the objective truth in our experience, human experience. Can I ask a question which may take things on a tangent, or should I wait till the end? Um, well, it depends. Let's let, go for it. Let's see. Okay, too, so too this week's Parsha, there's a discussion of the Yud that's added to Joshua's name. And um, the commentaries talk about two different sources that come from the Mishnah. And um, one of them was that the Yud was taken from, was given or taken from Sarah's name when she was named Sarah. Right. And it was floating around and it was given to Joshua. The confusing thing to me is the next thing that comes out of that, which is that um, in reference to King David, he asked that, you know, his account with uh, Bathsheba not be put into, I guess, it, the reference is called the Torah, at least in the, the source, but it's really um, the Tanakh um, that have been emitted and... Uh, the commentary is that if a Yud could float around and wait that long, so much more, basically his fate would be sealed by being revealed. And I always found those statements to be contradicting, and I'm trying to understand them. Interesting, interesting. Okay, let let let's let's see if we can explore that afterwards. That's a good question. Okay, that's a we can talk about it some other time too. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. But um, I, I see where that came up with the with the Yud of of God's name, right? There, there, right. because there is a discrepancy between. Between two realities. Right. I can wait. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a discrepancy between these two realities. And what davening is doing, what the Amida should do, is bring us at peace with ourselves. Internally. How would I know if I've davened properly? Right, let me just sit in summation. Let me recap before we round up here. How do I know if we've davened properly? Or I should say, how do I know if we're on the track to davening properly? If I'm more sensitive to the soul. If I'm more sensitive to the soul, I'll experience peace interpersonally with other people. I'll experience peace Personally, within my own self, I'll be more aligned. I'll have that alignment between animal soul and divine soul. I'll actually believe what I know to be true. Or I'll actually feel what I believe to be true, however you want to word it. My favorite analogy for this, so I'll leave you off with this. My favorite analogy. The Altarebbe quotes this in one of his teachings. You have the... Uh, the sun. The sun is shining 24-7. Not only at night, but in the daytime too. Sorry, not only in the daytime, but at nighttime too. <laughs> All the time. But at night, you only see the sun as it reflects on the moon. So the sun is shining at night, but you'll only see its reflection. What happens if you don't see the reflection on the moon? Has the sun gone away? I don't see the moon. The sun must not be there. Right? All that means is that the moon is in the wrong spot. And if the moon is where it needs to be, it will reflect that light. If our animal drive our human interest, our self-interest, isn't reflecting our divine soul, we don't have that inner peace, 
isn't reflecting or passionate about our sacred values, that doesn't mean the passion's not there. It doesn't mean the values aren't there. It doesn't mean the soul's not there. Just like the moon, we got to get to the right spot. We call this teshuva, literally returning. But that's what prayer is doing. The process of these meditations are slowly orienting ourselves to have that inner peace, the inner alignment. And when we do, we feel better about our Judaism. We feel better about God. We're more tolerant to people. We have more space for people. And we live life with a purpose. We live life with life with meaning. There's a reason why this is the concluding blessing to the Amida. This is what this is all leading up to. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.